follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite. This is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. I am a physician trained in Britain who's living in Canada and who's worked in the U.S. Since retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving, which explains the name of the show, Family Caregivers Unite. Our topic today is elder abuse, physical, psychological, and financial. Now, this is the show's first ever discussion of elder abuse, though it's been touched on by one or two guests. Elder abuse is often in the news with stories that are frankly horrifying, So for family caregivers, it's an important topic. To talk about it, our guest today is an experienced expert, Constable Patricia Fleischman. Um, Patricia is in her 25th year with the Toronto Police Service. She's worked in all areas of law enforcement, including uniform, investigative, and plainclothes duties. And currently, she has administrative responsibilities for vulnerable persons issues. She's a graduate of Durham College, McMaster University, and Ryerson University. And while she was at Ryerson University, she completed her gerontology certificate. She's an international elder abuse educator for police and non-law enforcement audiences. She's a founding member of the organization Law Enforcement Agencies Protecting Seniors, and she's the author of two chapters in the 2010 ebook, Aging, Ageism, and Abuse. Welcome to the show, Patricia. Good morning, and thank you so much, Gordon. It's my pleasure to be here. Great. Now, over to you. First question to you is please tell us more about your work against elder abuse. I think the best way to start this is to talk about elder abuse, is, is it important? Is it something we should be concerned about? And absolutely, unequivocally, the answer is yes. From a democratic perspective, there is going to be a monumental shift over the next couple of generations. And it, we're actually on that route now where older aging population is going to become the majority uh, overtaking younger adults. With respect to lifestyle choices, because of the advances of science and medicine and technology and so on, and you would certainly know about that, we are living longer and healthier, more independent lives. The effects of abuse and neglect, if something happens to a younger person, well, because they have youth and health on their side, for the most part, they're able to 
fairly quickly bounce back from that. But when it comes to an older adult, it's not necessarily the case. I mean, you've got the issue of aging and the aging process, and I'm assuming because of this program, those are things that you've talked about. And, you know, particularly with financial abuse, people can't recover from this. They're often an overlooked family violence victim. We know about child abuse. We know about sexual assaults. We know about domestic violence. But older adults, it's although it's been around for decades, it's really only relatively recently that we're starting to pay much more attention and concern to this. And from the policing perspective, we're one of the few 247 services available to uh, address this particular issue. So it's certainly important in policing. Right. So with what I do specifically, I act as a resource to members of the, uh, the police service as well as to members of the public, whether it's family or friends or neighbors that I get a call from, but it's also professionals and service providers. So from a policing perspective, I can get involved in active investigations. When it is a suspicious circumstance, this is often where I hear from members of the public. So I help people navigate through the criminal justice system. I talk about how it works, what the process is. Is this a matter for police? When should they call? Who should they call? And obviously, I do encourage people to report whether or not it's a criminal matter. It really helps establish patterns of behavior, perhaps for future, if something does happen. I provide in-service training to police and civilian personnel. There are a number of courses that I present at at the Toronto Police Service, and obviously stressing the importance of our role as a critical component of that. But I also provide in-service training to members of the public, to service providers, to professionals, and to students. I go out and I talk to students in college and university and even high school. I can get involved in special conferences where I'm attending myself to learn about what's happening, and but also to act as a facilitator or presenter. I get involved in special projects and special initiatives, and I do a lot of case consultation work where people call, we've got a situation involving a resident or a family member. You know, should I call police? What, what will happen if I call police? What's going to happen? So there's a lot that I do, and there's probably a lot more that I haven't mentioned. Now, talking about things that we need to know more about, there's this um, law enforcement agencies protecting seniors that yes. I mentioned with this delightful ac- acronym. <laughs> we thought long and hard about what to call ourselves. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's great. Tell us about LEAPS. Well, LEAPS started, has been around for about eight years now. It started in 2004. And in fact, there were a number of us, a number of police officers who were attending. It was believed to be the very first national elder abuse conference, and it was held in Toronto, which is where I, where I work, by the Ontario Network for the Prevention of Elder Abuse. And we got together in between the, the presenters' sessions, and we started talking with one another, and we realized there were people from around the province doing similar types of work as we were doing. And so we literally skipped one of the presentations and we met in the local cafeteria and we said, we've got to do something. This is really important for us to talk and connect. So LEAPS came about as a result of that initial impromptu meeting and it's an opportunity for officers and other like-minded members in, in the government to discuss the challenges that we face, talk about some of the issues that we're we're involved in. We share our experiences. We do a lot of problem solving and we talk about cases that we're involved in and what worked and what didn't work and who, things that we might consider from another perspective. And of course, these are all important networking. We're committed to sharing information and ideas 
it's important to, this whole process lends itself to the positive treatment of older adults in Ontario because I'm in the province of Ontario, so I can only speak to this particular group. Now, there are about 50 or so of us, and we meet on a fairly regular basis, at least quarterly. And, you know, we came up with our own elder abuse definition. We came up with a goal, and the goal is to develop a collaborative, coordinated, and effective police response to the abuse of older persons throughout our province in Ontario. And we have a number of objectives. The first, and probably one of the most important ones, is to develop and deliver educational training material for law enforcement agencies across the province. And one of the ways that we do this is that we, at the Ontario Police College in Elmer, Ontario, we have pretty much on an annual basis, we have an elder abuse conference. And in fact, there's one coming up the end of May into June in just a month, well, at the end of this month. And it's a three or four days, and we bring together a group of experts from around the province to, to talk about this issue. But we also liaise and we share information with police services and different government ministries as well as the community, so that we can talk about this really important issue. Now, that points to your mention of the word issue. I want to put this in a particular context. Okay. What, let's talk about the types of elder abuse that you deal with in your work, in your professional work, and how common are these types? Well, they are certainly common. But I, I guess what I, I should say, that w- with respect to elder abuse, it is significantly underreported, which means from a police perspective, it's under-investigated, and then it's under-prosecuted. It's only somewhere between 4 to 10% of people who are abused actually make the report. So it's a struggle that we, we are constantly dealing with. But with respect to the types of abuse that, that do come our way, well, it's all types. It's financial abuse. It's psychological or emotional abuse. It's physical abuse. It's sexual abuse. It's neglect. But probably what I deal most of the time myself is financial abuse. I would say on average it's about 9 out of 10 calls I deal with have to do with financial abuse. And I must tell you, there are absolutely devastating consequences to this, Gordon, because a person at, you know, in their retirement years doesn't generally have the opportunity to go back out and put in another 20, 30, 40 years of employment to save money, to invest in a pension or stocks or bonds or, you know, whatever their investment opportunities are. So they can literally become homeless and be turfed out onto the street by things that happen. And, and some of the examples of this would be an individual obtaining unauthorized access it can be to their pension checks, to their savings or their checking account, their credit card, the ATM. Probably the ATM is the biggest one I, I see, is that the, an individual needs help paying the bills. So to make it easy, they give the person their ATM card. And, of course, they give the ATM card. That means they give their PIN number. Now, they say not to do that, but it happens. Um, and this can be devastating because they can literally be wiped out in days. It doesn't even have to be weeks or months or years. It can happen as as quickly as in days. It can be a matter of the check comes to the house, I take it to the bank to be cashed, and then I give my mom or my dad perhaps an allowance. So I'm keeping money. It's not my money. I'm not giving it to my parent. It could be if if you are living in my house, I'm perhaps uh, charging an absolutely excessive amount of money for rent, or perhaps I'm charging you unreasonable fees for some basic care. 
you know, to get your food, to give your medicine, to help you with transportation, to doctor's appointments. It, this goes on and on. Forging a signature, coercing an individual to sign over property. This is another big one that I see. Forcing someone to hand over the deed to the house, or perhaps there's a cottage or a boat or a car. This, unfortunately, is not uncommon. There's often the case of undue influence, pressuring an older adult to give them a gift. And they're using, you know, they're doing this under the guise of friendship and trust. But I'm really trust trying to rob you blind. Or it could be I'm living in your home. You're putting a roof over my head. You're putting food on the table. And I'm not paying you any money for that. In fact, you're paying for everything. It's just absolutely terrible. Psychological abuse, though, is present throughout this whole process. What I find, no matter whether it's financial or physical abuse or even neglect for that matter, psychological or emotional abuse seems to be the common denominator. But the interesting thing about psychological abuse, it's not always criminal in nature. Now, it is criminal when we compare it to domestic violence, such as criminal harassment and stalking or threatening behavior. But it's not criminal when we yell and we scream and we name-call and we belittle and we treat that person like a child. It's absolutely horrible the way we sometimes talk or communicate with one another. Patricia, I'm going to interrupt you here because we do have to pay our rent. um, Yes, that's right. (laughs) But we're going to come back to these things because you're being very clear uh, about these threats which are very real to real people and they're horrible to listen to, if I can put it that way. So we're coming back. So, as I said, it's time to take a short break. This is Dr. Gordon Adley, and my guest is Constable Patricia Fleischman. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us. We will be back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Would you like to improve your emotional balance and mental performance? Of course, everyone would like to achieve that state of balance and be at the top of their game. But where do you start? Tune in to My Mind, My Health with your host, Dr. Vernon Barksdale. Dr. Barksdale has spent over 30 years researching and implementing strategies to impact health and well-being. Take a journey into the science behind how we feel and experience life and the transcendent aspects of that experience via connection to our spiritual side. Tune in Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. 
need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our guest, Constable Patricia Fleischman. Our topic is elder abuse, physical, psychological, and financial. So now let's talk about the causes and circumstances of elder abuse. Patricia, first off, please could you highlight, you've already talked about some of these circumstances in which elder abuse commonly occurs, but I want you to highlight the ones that really stick in your mind and really do explain to our listeners what this elder abuse is that we're talking about, the circumstances. Well, I think the best way to start is to talk first off about a vulnerable person. What is or who is a vulnerable person? And this, according to our definition, the Toronto Police Service definition, we, this is any adult who by nature of a physical, an emotional, or a psychological condition is dependent on someone else for care and assistance in their day-to-day living. And I think that very clearly is, is the case. We're talking about a family you know, caregiving radio show here. So this person being in this position, this vulnerable person, is much greater risk of being taken advantage of. They're going to find themselves in a situation where someone who is caring for them can, in fact, take advantage of them. And when we talk about elder abuse, again, there are similarities to domestic violence, but there are some differences. So it's certainly not about love when we're talking about family, and it's certainly not an anger management issue, which they often say in DV circles. We're really talking about uh, abuse where there is a, a power imbalance in the relationship between the abuser and the victim or the older adult. Elder abuse is incredibly stressful, and there's this downward spiral because stress negatively impacts on the immune system. So economic abuse is probably, first and foremost, the absolute worst. This is someone, as I was just explaining, who is perhaps controlling the household finances, someone who has access to the checkbook, who's taking care of the bills, but they're really not taking care of the bills. But again, the emotional abuse is also quite traumatic putting that person down, using threatening gestures, speaking them in, in, a, in a negative manner, the angry outbursts. I mean, we've all been in good relationships and not so good relationships. And when we engage in those in behaviors, it's incredibly hurtful, particularly if they've lost their spouse or, you know, uh, or their friends or their siblings. There's no one around. Exercising privilege is what I see a lot of. Treating the victim like a servant, controlling what they do, who they see what they wear, where they can go. They're literally locked in the house in some cases. They can be isolated, and I'm talking about social isolation, which is key here, but also you can be isolated living in a rural community where you don't have access to the outside, where if if an individual has a mobility issue, you plunk them on the chair or the couch in front of the television. They're, They're out of arm's reach of the telephone. They can't answer the door. It's very difficult. But I've also heard about and and seen physical abuse and sexual abuse. It's horrifying to think of that at any age, but sexual abuse does happen to older adults, primarily to women, because women at this point in time, as you know, outlive men, although men are certainly catching up. 
and using loved ones, making the person feel guilty about a situation. If you don't give me the money, if you don't sign the check, if you don't turn over the car, you'll never see me again. You'll never see your grandchild again. This happens over and over and over again. Now, you made the point that the economic abuse, and, and I think you're saying really all of the abuse, has health consequences. Yes, absolutely. As abuse. Now, that raises a, another que- related question, which mm-hmm. is, what are the health conditions that make seniors vulnerable to uh, the abuse you're talking about? What are, what are the health conditions that you would identify in answer to that question? Well, of course, I'm a police officer. I'm not a medical practitioner, so I can't give you some sort of a checklist as such, but I go back to that definition of a vulnerable person. So certainly individuals with, with health issues, health concerns, mobility issues, uh, if an individual is hearing impaired, if they're visually impaired, if they have some sort of a chronic illness, they're, they're much more susceptible. They're seen as easy targets. They can easily be taken advantage of. Now, layering on top of those health issues, ageism. Ageism, you know, the prejudicial stereotyping and discriminatory behavior against someone because of their age. How easy is it? to take advantage of them. Well, it's just an old person, right? They don't really need that money. Uh, They're going to die anyway. I mean, people are just absolutely horrid when it comes to that. And ageism, in fact, is the single biggest obstacle to overcoming elder abuse. And I believe that it does blind us to the realities of the situation. You add on top of that the other isms, racism and sexism, and even issues of homophobia. And if an individual has HIV-AIDS, there's a lot of fear in the community about that. So if, if I had to take a, a broad pers- overview of, of what a typical victim of elder abuse might look like, I would say that this is someone who's likely widowed or living alone. Not necessarily because it can certainly happen in couples. Again, social isolation is one of the key components here. They're often under the control or the influence of the abuser, so they really do overestimate their dependence on that person. There's likely some degree of physical impairment. They could be in a wheelchair. Perhaps they're using a walker. Perhaps there's some sort of mental incapacity that maybe they have uh, dementia or they have an acquired brain injury. This is an individual who could be physically frail, but quite mentally capable, so they've got a physical disability. They could have special care needs, a chronic illness, as I was saying, perhaps uh, Parkinson's or MS. Perhaps they need assistance with feeding or bathing or even getting dressed. But again, the groups who are most at risk of being victimized, and I use the word victimized, and that's definitely a police word, women, older women are more commonly reported. Men absolutely are, are subject to this, but we don't seem to hear quite as much in the way of reports. So I guess really what I want to say is the higher the age, the greater the risk of being taken advantage of. Would you add to that conditions like Alzheimer's disease or just generally the conditions where the elderly person's um, ability to memorize things, to understand things, to make decisions is being eroded by the health condition. Is that something you see? Yes. Yes. Uh, You know, whatever type of dementia, Alzheimer's certainly being one of them. Can you imagine? I'll tell you, Gordon, the best victim is one who cannot speak or one who will not be believed. Now, if an individual has dementia, you know there are, you know, you've got the cognitive issues, you have memory issues. In essence, that is your perfect victim. 
your perfect yeah. victim and how sad and how tragic that is. Yeah. yeah. Now let's talk about a situation where elder abuse has occurred in one or other of the circumstances you've been talking about. What is it that you, you think, you believe, that family caregivers and the families generally need to know when the abuse has occurred? And why do they need to know, know those things? Well, I, I think I may have mentioned this already. They certainly have a lesser ability to recover from all types of abuse. I've talked a little bit about financial abuse and psychological abuse, how incredibly hurtful that is. I mean, in fact, for more people, it's the psychological abuse that is more difficult to take than the financial. The, with respect to the financial abuse, many just say, well, you know, they're going to get it anyway, so they get it now. They're not happy about the situation, but that's probably the reality that they live with, and that the harm, without question, is disproportionately devastating, depending on the type of abuse. So they, they need to know when a person has been victimized, when they've been taken advantage of in this way, they absolutely, they want the abuse to stop. They often say, you know, they want this person to remain in their life, but they want the abuse and the violence to stop. It's possible, depending on the situation, they may, they may need to see a lawyer to, to take some sort of civil remedy. They may need access to financial resources. Depending on their living situation, they may need a new safe place to live, whether it's temporarily or permanently. It may be a matter of bringing in home support services or additional support services so that they're not as completely dependent on the abuser. They certainly need emotional support. It may be counseling that they need. Perhaps it's greater links to the community if they are isolated. It's important to, to get out there and have relationships. And if this is, in fact, a criminal matter, number one, they need to know that, that there is a criminal justice option. They may choose not to accept it, but they need to know that it's available. So families can certainly help in this process through, you know, through education, helping to, to discuss and, and develop safety plans. It may be a matter of the family needs to arrange visits to the home. You know, it's, it's checking off who's visiting dad on a particular day, depending on who the care provider is or who the abuser is. Contact with family and friends. The family does have a responsibility, I believe, and they can certainly do things like have, have a real heart-to-heart -heart conversation. This older adult is absolutely not to blame for what is happening. They don't deserve to be abused. And everybody has the right to live, you know, with, with safety and without fear. An older adult is no different. They have the right to healthy relationships, to have their own life. They need to know, importantly, that nobody can control the abuser's behavior but the abuser himself or herself. And unfortunately, without any type of intervention, abuse does get worse over time. If they don't want to do anything here and now at this moment, that's okay. They need to be given those options. And in fact, you as the family uh, member who is concerned about them, you are, the, you are the broken record and you just keep repeating the offer of help, that help is available. You need to engage that person. And, and you really, we often use the word empowerment. You really do need to empower. Give them choices. So there's so much that can be done, and I guess I would ask your listeners at this point, you know, what is it you're prepared to do? So many people know that it's wrong, but they're afraid to take a step. They're afraid to step up to the plate. It may be difficult to engage that person. They may be unwilling to talk about it. So you're walking a fine line between helping and supporting the older person in your family 
but you also don't want to alienate them because if the abuser is a family member, you've heard that expression, blood is thicker than water. You can divorce your spouse. You cannot divorce your child. And that is so true. My experience over and over is telling me this. These aren't straightforward cases. They're incredibly complex and complicated. You need to focus on safety and that person's well-being. Be there for them. Always be there. Support them. You know, it's ba- taking baby steps towards a healthy, balanced life. And, and in try and intervene as best as that you can. You need to acknowledge that something is going on. You need to validate their experience and remind them they are not to blame. Bottom line. And talk to someone. Talk to, talk to, talk to an outsider. Talk to, if, if it's a member of your church or your mosque or your temple or your synagogue, talk to someone you trust. Talk to the local police. Talk to a service provider. There's so many things the family could do. Patricia, we're going into the break now, and I just want to take one second just to make a comment back to you, and that's this, that one of the things that's coming out to me very strongly from what you're saying is that the police are there to give help and advice in circumstances whether or not there's crime involved. Absolutely, yes, Gordon. Okay, great. Now, we're going to come back to those kinds of things afterwards, but... As I always say, it is time for us to take the break to pay the rent. <laughs> uh, this is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Constable Patricia Fleischman. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're coming back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Technology is changing the way we live our lives and how we do business. On CIO Talk Radio, we talk about the benefits of technology and the great things it allows us to do, as well as its risks. Heard every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, Sunjo Gall interviews business leaders and other experts that are shaping the way we use technology. To learn more about this show, visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Keep up with the changing world of technology and listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjo Gall. Listen in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business. Listen to the women's side of the fitness industry on Fitness Rx Radio with Adela Garcia and Sonia Gonzalez. If you're looking to stay healthy and look great or are getting ready to compete athletically, this is the show for you. We'll look at competitions from the inside out, bring you fitness tips, nutrition to keep you on top of your game, and so much more. We want to hear from you, too, and we'll take your questions by phone or email. Tune in to Fitness Rx Radio, airing every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific time on the voice america variety channel look and feel your best talk 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 that's all we do is talk if you'd like to talk call us toll free right now at 1-866-472-5787 that's it that's it voiceamerica.com you know i need someone You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at m y 
M-O-N-A-M-I.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Constable Patricia Fleischman. Our topic is elder abuse, physical, psychological, and financial. Now let's talk more about the circumstances of and cues to the occurrence of elder abuse. Patricia, what's known about in-family elder abuse and how does this typically occur? Now I know you've mentioned it, but I'd like to focus more on it. Okay. Give us that picture. How does it occur? What I have found, it's a very interesting relationship between the older adult and the abuser. So in this case, the abuser is a family member. There is an interdependent relationship, an interdependent relationship. They both need one another. The older adult needs the abuser. Now let me make this clear. They need the person this person in their life, this person who becomes the abuser. They don't need the abuse. They need this person who is the abuser. They believe they do. They need this person because we are social creatures and it's very important to have social relationships. And so this person provides that to them, of course, but they also provide with um, errands around the house, cutting the grass, shoveling the snow, taking them to appointments, helping out with grocery shopping and such. The abuser often needs the older adult because the older adult often puts a roof over their head, puts food on the table, gives them money, lets them use the car. And, of course, in exchange for that, they provide these primary care-providing uh, duties, if you will. So it's it's certainly a dysfunctional relationship, no question. So the abuser, let's talk about the abuser. The abuser often has substance abuse problems. So we could be talking about drugs or alcohol, gambling. So we've got the addiction issues in there. There is sometimes a history of emotional problems or perhaps a history of mental illness. And this is something that's very, very common. There seems to be something going on with this person, whether it's, it's often the youngest, sometimes it's the oldest child, and there's always been problems throughout their whole life. This is the person who was first to be let go or the last to be picked for the school team. And mom and dad always have excused this individual and their behavior, and they've rationalized it. So, in fact, what they've done is they've, they've enabled these behaviors to continue. This is the abuser is often someone who is experiencing some sort of stress in their life. It could be mental stress. There could be marital problems. There could be problems at work. There could be financial problems where, you know, they don't have any money themselves or about to lose their house. Perhaps they're unemployed or underemployed. And they could have their own physical health problems. So there are a number of stressors in their life. As mentioned before, they're often dependent on this person for assistance. And someone who's dependent on their their parent for financial assistance, for for financial assistance or for housing or perhaps other necessities, there is a higher risk of them becoming abusive. So it's a it's a really tough, difficult situation here. Over time, they often become quite resentful of their caregiving role. Perhaps there has been some caregiving experience. Perhaps there's a lack of skills. Perhaps they started off with all the best intentions, but over time, things have developed. They don't understand this person's uh, physical or mental problems, you know, if, if there is some sort of a disability or perhaps there's a disease. Maybe there's no support from the other family. They're all on their own. Maybe they've just had unrealistic expectations of what caregiving was all about. 
I've often found that there is a history of poor relationships, whether it's in the family or with others. They may have a blaming personality. It's not their fault this is happening. It's everybody else's fault. They may have limited social supports. There's often a history of violence as well. Perhaps they were abused as a child. This is something I was very surprised to hear about, that parents were bad parents, and perhaps they abused their children. And so for children, when the roles reversed, for them it's payback time. I'm going to do to you what you did to me as a child. And it's hard to conceive of this, but it does happen. Perhaps they grew up in a household where violence was what was used to resolve disputes. That's just the way it was in their family. Or it's simply been a bad relationship with their parent or grandparent. But what I find more often than not, there is this absolute sense of entitlement. The money's coming to me. You owe it. I want it, and I want it now. So it's just outright greed. Right. Outright greed and entitlement. I want to just focus now on the next question, on a situation where <clears throat> what you've just been describing, that is the immediate caregiver, family caregiver, for example, is uh, abusing um, an elder. Um, the rest of the family uh, is uneasy because it's yes. not quite sure what's actually happening. So my question to you are, what are the cues that you think families should be looking for in those kinds of circumstances? Patricia? Okay, well, you have to pay attention to your own intuition, what your gut is telling you. You need to be aware, cognizant of the surroundings, of the environment that this person lives. You know your parent. You know your grandparent. And so what are these relationships? You know when something is wrong. We all have it, and we need to pay attention to that. So a couple of indicators. Let's start off with financial abuse. When we talk about financial abuse, we are talking about a misuse of a person's money or perhaps their property. So we're talking things such as theft or fraud or forgery or false pretenses, you know, sections under the criminal code. Finances are in someone else's control. This could be someone who's simply helping out, but it could be someone who's acting as a substitute decision maker, perhaps as their power of attorney. They're simply helping themselves to the money as they, as they do everything else. Money manners. An older adult doesn't have control, and, and they, don't, they don't have any say in what happens to their money. The money is just going. There may be an inability to pay bills. It may be unexplained. It may be sudden. You may start to see a pattern developing. I often get telephone calls from long-term care homes where the substitute decision maker is refusing to pay for their, the monthly fees. Now, this is really no different from someone refusing to pay it when you're living in the family home. There's a refusal to spend money without the care provider or the family member giving permission. Well, hang on a second. If you're a capable adult, you have the right to make your own decisions and you have the right to spend your money. You don't need someone else's permission. One of the big things is there's no money. There's no money for money's sake. For miscellaneous items, there's no money for food, there's no money for clothes, there's no money for medication. Personal grooming needs, getting haircuts. If, if, uh, if my grandmother went out once, once a month and had her hair done and her nails done and suddenly that's not happening anymore, wait a second, what's going on here? There's an unexplained or perhaps a sudden withdrawal of money out of the account. So money's disappearing from the bank accounts. And the banks are paying a lot more attention to this. 
selling their selling their property without permission. How often have I heard that? A substitute decision maker sold mom's house out and decided to put her in a home. Didn't want to take care of her anymore. So those are some of the things with respect to financial abuse, right. psychological or emotional abuse. Well, again, I talked about social isolation. But if if you've got family members who are concerned and involved and, and committed and, and are there on a regular basis, this is not an issue. It will become an issue when the family members are denied entry to the house. Nope, sorry, mom's sleeping. Mom's not feeling well. Nope, sorry, dad can't come to the phone. This is what's happening. And over a period of time, they are they are cut off from communication from all family members. But there could be the psychological conditions such as depression, anger, fear, a reluctance to speak openly. I mean, you know if, if you're annoyed at someone and you don't want to say much, how you can act and behave and respond. This is no different for older adults. Avoiding contact, avoiding eye contact with that person, giving them deference. Is someone becoming extremely withdrawn or suddenly non-communicative? Behavior that may be suggestive of a dementia. Perhaps they're having problems sleeping. Perhaps they're sleeping excessively. And physical abuse. I think most of us pretty much know that. If you open up a newspaper or watch the news, you, you, you know all about what's going on. Physical abuse. You know, this is from slapping and pushing and pinching and twisting and burning and force feedings, rough handling, sexual assault, molestation, forced confinement in a room or a bed or a chair, tying someone up. I mean, you know, it, it, it's absolutely horrible what we do. Unexplained or inconsistent um, reasons for, you know, why there are injuries or fractures. Broken glasses, broken frames, inappropriate clothing for the time of year in particular, that may be covering up marks on the body. Sudden change in one's behavior. I mean, those are just a few of some of the indicators of abuse. You can right. find lots more information online if your listeners are interested. Okay, that's great. Now, we um, do have a little little less time for this particular question, and if we need to, to take time out of the next segment, we'll okay. do that. But it's a, a, a very important and interesting question from many points of view. Patricia, what are the circumstances in which the police will charge elder abusers? Okay. We have very specific duties, of course, and we are mandated to follow those specific police duties. But I, the question I need to pose to your listeners is, because if, if they're coming from uh, listening from, from outside of the Toronto area or outside of Ontario or Canada... You need to learn whether there are legislative requirements in your particular jurisdiction which dictate the response of the police. And if so, the police need to follow that accordingly. So in the province of Ontario, there is no mandate as such for police to do a particular thing. There is a mandate for police services to have a procedure in place which tell officers how they are to respond to that. But I will tell you internally, the Toronto Police Service, we have a procedure which directs officers when we have the evidence, when we have the grounds that we shall lay a charge, we shall make the arrest. So first off, during the course of an investigation, we have to look at what are the facts of this particular case. And every case is unique and specific. So it's necessary to determine all of the facts and all of the circumstances of the case. In other words, what are all those tangible factors relating to this particular occurrence? 
Police need solid evidence to support a charge. The charge could be anything. The charge could be a financial abuse charge. It could be a physical charge. It could be psychological. It could be neglect. But it's really uh, uh, kind of tricky for us, and it is somewhat of an ethical dilemma for us. When to become involved? Well, we can become involved in a number of different ways. We can respond to a call for service, and we are presented with this. Or it may come secondhand or thirdhand. It could be someone reporting that they think something may be happening. So here's, here's the catchy thing. Here, here's really what's very difficult for us. An older adult who is considered capable, and we haven't even talked about mental capacity, but an older adult who is considered capable has the right to live their own life as they see fit. They have the right to refuse the assistance of police or social workers, for that matter, unless that person is in imminent physical danger or they are mentally incapable. So when we're dealing with this, capacity is an issue that we have to consider always because if the person is considered incapable, our response is going to be quite different because this person is is not capable to uh, answer questions. They're not capable to understand the, perhaps the danger that they're in. Right. And so we need Patricia, to look at this. I'm, I'm afraid the tyranny okay. of time has caught up with us, but we will return to give you a chance to finish off the answer to that question because it's profoundly important. So let's now go into this break, this tyranny. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Constable Patricia Fleischman. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned. We're coming back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Do you know what a brat is? No, we're not talking about that kind of brat. BRAT stands for British Regimental Attached Traveler. It was adopted by American culture after World War II when American military began long-term assignments at U.S. military installations worldwide. Learn about the BRAT culture, the lost tribe, by tuning in to BRATCon Radio with host Dennis Campbell and associate producer and co-host Jerry Glass. There are almost 8 million living BRATs. Hear from them and from guests who studied or examined them. Tune in Thursdays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Is your computer making your life easier or more of a headache? Are you using all of the tools to make your life more productive and less of a stress? You need to listen to the Microsoft Princess Insider with Melanie Goss, dubbed the Microsoft Princess. Melanie has been a certified expert in all things Microsoft since 1998. And her expertise will have you taking back control of your life and letting your computer handle the efficiency of day-to-day projects. The Microsoft Princess Insider airs live every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at m-y-m-o-n-a-m-i dot com. 
Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Constable Patricia Fleischman. Our topic is elder abuse, physical, psychological, and financial. Now, let's talk about the ways in which more can be done to prevent elder abuse. Patricia, what more can be done by services like yours? Well, from the police perspective, I think there's lots that we can do. These are incredibly complex uh, cases, as I I think I've explained. Uh, You've got application of the law. There's different types of law. There's federal and provincial in Canada, and, of course, in the states, you've got got state legislation. So I think one of the things that is required, we need specialist personnel, such as myself. My role is administrative, but I have colleagues in other services who are investigators. So you've got the elder abuse end of things, and because financial crimes is huge, in fact, MetLife Financial, Financial Institute calls financial abuse the crime of the century. We need specialists who are involved in those types of uh, criminal investigations. Elder law prosecutors, we not only need special police officers to do this, we need prosecutors. And certainly in the states, there, there are a number of things that are happening. There is the um, elder abuse court uh, in San Diego. And uh, here in Canada, I know that we have a, an elder abuse prosecutor, someone who is really involved in assisting the Ottawa police, is the assistant crown attorney in, in the Ottawa courts, uh, Tim Whiteman. But not only is it specialized officers, we need dedicated personnel or specialized units. You've got me in Toronto Police, as I've stated, the uh, Ontario Provincial Police, Vancouver Police. There are a number of services across Canada and in the United States, although I don't know too many, but I know that they are there, who have dedicated personnel because this very much is a specialty. We also need lawyers who specialize in elder law. And again, again, I know in the States there are a number of um, law firms that work in this area here in Toronto. We've got two great lawyers, in particular Kimberly Whaley and Jan Goddard, who specialize in this area. And we need specialized elder law clinics, and we've got some wonderful ones across the country. Here in Toronto, it's been around for about 25 years, the Advocacy Centre for the Elderly. And then two or three years ago, the Elder Law Clinic opened up in British Columbia. There's also, I know, for example, there is the Elder Abuse Forensic Center out of Santa Ana, California, but I know there are many, many others. There are police community networks such as LEAPS. I've talked about that. And there's an organization here in Toronto called SCAT, Senior Crimes Around Toronto. These are officers who get together to talk about financial abuse specifically. I had the pleasure a couple of years ago to do a presentation in Australia and New Zealand, and I know as a result of that particular presentation, they decided they needed to do something similar. So the police and their service provider partners in New Zealand got together to do something like that. And again, out of California, there's the Elder Financial Protection Network, again, specialized in financial abuse. Lots and lots of public education programs. Okay. Now that leads me into a question that goes back to the previous segment. You were talking about when police lay charges and when they don't. Yes. Please just give us a quick piece of advice to family caregivers about how to decide when to call the police. Well, if you are facing the dilemma, should I or shouldn't I, I would suggest you should. Now, here's the thing. You can try and find someone like myself. Not all police services have such uh, persons, but you need to find someone who gets elder abuse. Try and find that person. Think of it as a case consultation. And I get many phone calls. 
I'm calling about my mom or my grandmother. I'm not really sure. There's something going on. I'd like to talk to you about it. You're not giving me any particulars, any identifiers, but you're, we're talking about is this or is this not a matter for police? And I will tell you right away if this is something that should be reported or you know it's not necessary to call police at this time, but I can give some suggestions as to what you can do or give you some recommendation things to be on the lookout for. Again, some of the things that we've discussed in today's call. Thank you. Very helpful. Now, my next question to you is, okay, this is a show about family caregivers. What more can they do uh, to combat or prevent elder abuse? Well, I think it's really, really important. This, I, I, I do a lot of presentations to people, and I ask them to remember that this is, this, is a, this is a real, live, living, breathing person. This is not just someone with a medical condition. This is not just someone with a, with a physical disability. And we sometimes forget that we get so close and involved in this situation. We forget this is a real person that we're dealing with. And so you need, you need to remember that at all times. You need to validate that person, their experiences, their life, their emotions. What are they thinking? What are they feeling? Pay attention. Don't ignore them. Don't engage in ageist behaviors or any of the other isms. It's really important. Spend time with them. Talk to them. Communicate. Relate. Engage them. And I probably, I think for families, you have to do the absolute best that you can possibly do given your experiences, given your knowledge, given your skill set. If you think there's something wrong, there probably is, and you need to do something about it. You can't ignore it. It's not going to go away. And when people ignore it, they wish it away, the situation gets worse. It deteriorates with time. Things become much more complicated. So, you know, listen. And if we're talking about a family member... This is very difficult for people. They don't want to believe that a family member is capable of acting and behaving this way. And I have to tell you, Gordon, and I have to tell your listeners, it it happens every day. This is not an isolated situation. If we do not do something, we are enabling the behavior, we are enabling the behavior to continue, and we are implicitly and explicitly giving permission for that person to continue doing what they are doing. We're just as guilty. We have to do something. Help and support is available. You can give that person a criminal justice option if you believe it might be. Again, you can pick up the phone and you can try and find someone like me in your local police service. But sometimes people can't do that. They just can't, you know, there, there, there's this stigma. They can't break from the family, if you will, and there are all kinds of reasons why people don't report, and we didn't get into that today, of course. But there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a group called Crime Stoppers. I'm sure your listeners have heard of Crime Stoppers. Mm-hmm. There is a senior Crime Stoppers. It's the same program. It works the same way. People can call in to, re- to report anonymously. I would implore your listeners... If nothing else, if they can't pick up the phone, if there's something holding them back, to at least call Crime Stoppers. That person can get help, and they don't have to be seen as the bad guy in the family because we know there are lots of family dynamics. Here's the bottom line, Gordon. Many, many, many older adults are willing, if not prepared, to remain in unhealthy, dysfunctional relationships. 
In fact, they are willing and prepared to remain in abusive, violent relationships because it's better than no relationship at all. Those family ties are so strong. People do not want to break those bonds. It's so difficult for them. Now, I'm going to respond to you because time's running out. We're coming to the end in this. I think a very, very powerful message coming from what you're saying, Patricia, is this, that prevention of elder abuse is one of the ways in which family caregivers and family caregiving have responsibilities and that being on the lookout for the cues, knowing where to go, for example, to the police for help, becomes part of the family caregiving responsibilities. And I hope I've understood you correctly. Absolutely. Summarizing back to you that. And um, in that instance, I would like to say that if there are other things that our listeners would like to hear back from you about, please do email us and we'll be very pleased to respond to you. So in the final seconds, I want to say thank you to our listeners. Please email us with comments and questions. I want to say a big thank you to Constable Patricia Fleischman for sharing with us her experience, her insights, and her advice. And I want to say to you and all of your colleagues, every success in your work, because all of us have a vested interest in your succeeding, because all of us, sooner or later, are heading down the the road. Oh, yes, we are. (laughs) It's inescapable. So thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, in our next episode... We're going to talk about caregivers relating to people who are patients. Please join us, same time, same spot on the internet. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.